Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, this is Darren from London, and you're listening to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, if you had to be stuck in one decade for a week, which one would you choose? Okay, here comes the show, and remember... Question everything. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast for myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor, Dane Baptiste, my producer friend, Howard Cohen, aka The Hizzer. Hello! And a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked, and we're talking everything from. Everything from Darren from London's question Which decade would you like to be stuck in for a week? Now, I think we're going to have to limit that to the, the, the 20th century. Maybe, you know, if you want to be in the early 21st century, fine. Dane, where do you stand on that? I think a lot of people have a lot of love for the 60s, but uh, there may be uh, some complications. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty okay with everything uh, prior to 1968. And if I'm really honest, like, <laughs> really anything prior to, uh, I mean, even up until when I was born. So I'd say for, uh, for the whole, I'd say maybe... The 90s, probably. Because the 80s had recession. Musically, it was a golden age. And we merged into like grunge and then like more hip hop started, had more out. Because hip hop was like 80s, but more hip hop was actually going gold and actually getting more of a, uh, becoming a lot more diverse. Because in the 90s, it was kind of like Biggie and Tupac. So that was kind of my time as well. So I would have said 80s as well. But then I feel like the 80s kind of taught us a lot about excess and being fine with excess, especially after the 70s, which was so much more of a uh, socially conscious uh, decade. And the 80s became a lot more materialistic. And that's kind of like, I think where we are now, socially, we've kind of revived the 80s again as well, where we're kind of like giving up too much power to like uh, the uh, finance industry. So I'd say, that's why I'd say 90s. I would agree with Dane. And, uh, you know, I'd probably enjoy it more this time as well, because, you know, I didn't enjoy it when I was younger. So that would be quite good. But suffice to say, we ask and answer all the questions on this podcast, don't we, Dane? Absolutely. We answer all questions. No question is too stupid, too big or too small. If you like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. You'll never miss an episode. Or subscribe to us on Acast, the world's largest podcast network, to hear us answer all the questions from all of our very special guests. With that being said, on today's show is a duo who have risen to prominence through their hit podcast. Their podcast has become one of the most popular in the UK, winning Podcast of the Year and Best Sex and Relationship Podcast at the British Podcast Awards. One of the pairing is a successful producer with credits on BBC Three's Things Not to Say To and Free Speech. And the second member of this duo is the journalist and presenter for C4 and Vice. But most importantly, they are just good human beings. So please, welcome to the show, Rabina and Poppy from Brown Girls Do It Too. Hey! Hello. Welcome. Hello. I, brown girls do it too, but hello, ladies, full-grown, cognitive, intelligent, insightful women. So they're very clear. <laughs> I'm not trying to Thanks for that intro. Oh, oh my pleasure. asked for that to be inserted, didn't they? I do no, like that disclaimer. Like <laughs> women, actually, we're women. Yes, I, I want to make it very clear. Women. And Would you be offended if someone referred to you as a girl, Rubina? No. No, neither would I. I guess Sorry, it's a, it's a, a, no, it's a good point. I suppose it's always, it's always context, isn't it? 
you know yeah i think i think also it's 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 actually easier when you use girl as a cumulative phrase right so like if i said to you oh me rabina she's a nice girl you'd be like a little yeah. bit patronizing when you'd be like oh it's the girls or yeah, oh yeah, it's the boys yeah, like, yeah. Okay. but i think i think it's down to tone, tone as well tonation if if, yeah. if if how if we were outside having a cigarette and you're like you know that Rabina's a really nice girl. Then I'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> why would I have changed my voice? I like, <laughs> voice would be one way. You were smoking. Yeah, you're smoking as well. So it's just, yeah, so you're like, yeah, yeah. Or, or if like a waitress says, would you like something to drink, sir? And you go, uh, I'll have a glass of scotch, please. And then you go, good girl. I'd go, mm. oh, yeah, good girl's not the one. Yeah. Or if I, I don't call like, her over. If you flip it though, I, quite, I, I prefer girl, weirdly, to mom. When someone refers to me as madam or mom, I'm like, mm. <laughs> who refers to you as mom? <laughs> Literally, I got ID for alcohol the other day. I had to take, I mean, obviously inside I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, took my mask, I took my mask off. I was like, I have to look 17. I have to be 17 right now. Do you think I'm 17? He's like, no, no, madam. I was like, okay, cool. Um, but mom, I take offense to. I really do because I'm like, don't be a dick. No, don't do that to me. Even if you're in Alabama, although I feel like that might be the least of your worries. <laughs> Because that'd be more like, <laughs> could you please leave the store, man? We don't serve our kind here. Get out of the man. store, man, before I shoot you with my yeah, iPhone 47. Exactly. Um, well, that's a different mom. That's a different yeah. mom. Okay. <laughs> different kind of mom, you know, Just, that's a US mom. Yeah, well, exactly. Uh, I'm talking about, I'm talking yeah, about South is, London mom. Yeah, South exactly. London mom is like, I'm sorry, am I running CID? Are we doing an operation? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what also I've noticed is, is, is my use of the phrase guys which at one point i would have associated with men but i do not associate with men anymore so occasionally i'll say hey you guys might have an opinion about this and uh they'll go oh god i'm a i'm a, I'm a woman am i still a guy i think i don't know oh i do the same I, in every email i'm like hey guys and no one's called me no woman has called me out and said yeah. you're you're removing my gender by not referring no, to me. i don't so, think okay. anybody i don't think anybody is that particular about it again i think it's always down to context that being said, I, w- I always like to do a caveat sometimes when I'm performing, and I will say, ladies and gentlemen, gaydies and lesbian, and members of the non binary community. <laughs> and there's a. Okay, you, you'd be there for some time then. That's it. It's, well, you know what? That's what makes, for, it makes for a great intro. It saves a bit of time as well. But then, you know, it, it's sometimes, I think sometimes, yeah, uh, yeah, you, you have to read the room, and sometimes there is a time when you need to kind of be inclusive and stuff. And, uh, yeah. as, but, and, and like I said, I think people kind of know. Because even, um, I think. Girls sometimes, like I said, as a colloquial, doesn't necessarily mean you're, you know, pertaining to gender anyway. Because, like, suppose if I had like my gay uncle was like, "Girl, you need to leave her and treat yourself better," I'd be like, "That's sound advice." That is sound. <laughs> that's sound advice. I totally get that. Yeah, and there's something really beautiful about other women calling each other girls and having that. Like, it's it's girl power, right? It's not yeah. women power. It's like there's something kind of sisterly about. Yeah, from it. a nice place of sorority as well. And I, I, I think that's I'd cool. like to, uh, I'd like to reclaim the word lads to be non-binary. I think it's quite good fun to be able to, because it feels like such a thing that's been going on for so many decades now. Like, we're the lads. You know lads, 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 lads. It's lovely lads. to be like, we're lovely to see some... my girls as lads. Yeah. yeah exactly. it's cool. Ladette was a thing, remember, in like the early noughties. They had like mm. a few shows where it was like, do you know women drink beer while wearing trousers? We call them Ladettes. What a crazy phenomenon. <laughs> See, in the 90s, no one cared about that because women wore baggy jeans and lumberjack shirts anyway, and we were all fine. It wasn't that big of yeah. a deal. But then some, some way I, in the new century I, I do call my boys girls too. Yeah. Because I'm like, well, I call the girls lads. I'm going to call you my girls because they are my girls. I get that. I totally get that. I, 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 I always use the same honorifics to refer to even a partner. I'd be like, fam, bro, fam. Well, go on, I'm like, 
Mm. Well, go on, fam. It's, you, you sure you, you have to wear a bra wearing doors? You know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to wear a bra. It's lockdown. So I'm saying, there's no need for this underwear, bro. We're just going to dinner. So you know that kind of, um, that kind of thing. So it's. It's probably time for a question, as the format of this this show dictates, isn't it? Absolutely. And as our very esteemed guests, Rubina and Poppy, uh, we invite you to ask the first question, which we like to discuss for about 15 minutes of some change. Then Howard will ask a question, which we'll all answer and discuss again. And then lather, rinse, repeat. I'll ask a question uh, to both of you, which we will discuss. And then uh, everybody have a nice life, a nice week. And our listeners uh, get to find out where they can find out about more of your amazing works. Sound like a plan? Plan. Right, let's do it, lads. We would like the first question, please. (laughs) All right, so our first question is, do men really think about sex more than women? Yep, next question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. That's the end of that. We always love to know what inspired that question from you guys. What are you? What so are you? We, when we started our podcast, it was really apparent that Poppy and I had quite high sex drives and we were quite up for talking about sex quite graphically. And that's kind of led us to, to make brand girls do it too. And we only speak to girls on the podcast and all of our fans are girls. And I think we all think about sex quite a lot. But we've been told and taught this whole story that men think with their dicks and they're these kinds of things. And actually, how can you ever measure thought? There's no thought police. How can you be inside my head and think that someone's doing it less or more than me? Good point. Oh, where do you stand on this one? Um, I think it depends on what we're defining as a man. <laughs> uh, not, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, that makes it a lot more of a convoluted question. But I, th- I think... Uh, I would say the short answer is uh, not necessarily. I, th- I think uh, the idea that men think about sex, and I guess uh, we're talking from the perspective of like they're, they're wanting sexual conquest or, or seeking sexual congress. I think for a lot of men, depending on your situation, I think for a lot of men, they are probably driven a lot more by the need f- for sexual gratification from sex, I think. So I think men think more about the physical gratification that comes from sex and the... Uh, the, I guess, gratification that comes from the release or climax during sex, whereas I think uh, women, and uh, more specifically, the feminine hemisphere of the brain, consider sex with a lot more creativity behind it. So an easy way to I think about it is like, when men think about sex, they send a dick pic. Whereas what would probably solve them a lot more is that women have more, think of more about a, dis- a description. So, like, <laughs> a man will send a picture a woman, to a woman of his hard penis. And what I guess a lot of men understand is that what would be a lot more rewarding for both pies is if you give context to the picture of this penis. Like, a woman would want to know what you were thinking about specifically that led to you having an erection. What were you thinking about her doing? What position was she doing it in? Where were we doing it? So, once you add the context as to why you had an erection, then it, it comes a lot, a lot more confirmation than someone just sending you a picture of a hard penis. Which doesn't make any sense. Which 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 men are still doing, by of the way. And I don't know why they haven't got the memo. Like I am not interested in it. Like exactly like you said, I'm not interested. I mean, I'm not interested in a dick pic even with context. But um, without context, I'm just like this is doing nothing for me. Absolutely nothing. Yeah, well, you know? I think in that case, the, the phallus is like an antenna for uh, uh, toxic masculinity. <laughs> and I think a lot of the time is that. And I think that's a large part of the. Uh, the suggestion that men constantly think about sex is that it's supposed to be part of their uh, makeup of their masculinity complex is the idea is that you should be 
constantly as a hunter-gatherer pursuing sexual congress and sexual gratification and trying to emulate this whole state of clubbing a woman over the head and dragging her back to a cave as much as possible. But obviously we know there are so many other external factors that uh, are part of, you know, the human experience that sex alone isn't a big part of it. And I always say to people as well, when I talk to friends about issues about sex and relationships is that um, I, I feel there's a reason why sexuality was referred to as a flower. I mean, it's more specifically people talking about women's virginity being like a flower. And I think it's more because of the fact that uh, a flower or any kind of plant as it grows is affected by both uh, nature and nurture. So that flower and how it blooms and its plumage and how it's angled depends on the experiences it has. So for most people, depending on if you experience some form of sexual trauma or not, or if you grow up in an environment where you're able to be open about sex, or you you may not be dealing with other aspects of your mental health, which may not affect your libido, I think that uh, everyone's sexuality is so different. And I think the problem comes from the fact that is when we try to observe a uh, sort of group think when it comes to sexuality, I think everyone's sexuality is different in terms of like, you know, like I said, just like any kind of flower, the arrangement of the pollen, the plumage is all very different. And I think everyone's sexuality is different. Everyone has a state where they might be like voraciously craving sex. And then sometimes it's like it's the last thing on his mind. Like for men, it's like a weird quantum whereby up until the point before orgasm, sex and the gratification that comes from sex and you being close enough to touch the face of God is all that you're thinking about. After you come, I couldn't be further. I couldn't, I would much rather be further away from vagina. If I tried, there's like a split 30 seconds where I'm like, get this away from me. (laughs) Dane, you just went from one of the most eloquent things I've ever heard you say on this 88 hours to to something so directly succinct. It was incredible. (laughs) The the thing about it is attitudes that around you, right? I really think that plays a huge role in it. Like, um, you know, I don't uh, I know if our listeners know kind of Poppy where you kind of grew up, but like for you growing up, did, were, you, were you were you kind of encouraged particularly or was it kind of like a real... Uh, what? To have sex? Well, I mean, like I know people, like I look at kind of my wife who often comes up on this podcast and, you know, I think her family were just very free, happy people uh, who kind of the, the, the idea that the three children in my wife's family were going off to, you know, find romance was perfectly kind of accepted and encouraged uh, by her family. Whereas I don't think that's the case for a lot of people, right? No, we, so growing up, so I'm, uh, I'm kind of second generation British Bangladeshi. My parents are quite traditional, quite conservative, quite religious. And uh, we just were like, I got my sex education in Quran class from another nine-year-old. Do you know what I mean? It was like a joke. Um, Did not get it in school. Um, and so what I think tends to happen and I can't speak. So Rabina and I are two very different types of Brown and we're two very different types of Muslim, even though we're both mm-hmm. Sunni. Um, I come from like, if this was the spectrum, the kind of hardcore, but not ISIS end of the spectrum, like it's quite strict <laughs> and it's, um, what we do. And this is the big joke and this is the biggest irony, right? So like what the, the community does, the aunties, the uncles, the imams, what they do is they make sex like, uh, they put it on such a pedestal mm-hmm. that what tends to happen is that it comes out of normal, like it comes out of me and other men and women in very, um, not unhealthy, but in, in, in sort of awkward ways. So normal white teenagers, and sorry, I'm using white, but mm. basically non-Asians, um, 
will get to experience it. They, you know, they'll, they'll kiss someone behind a bike shed or whatever the fuck it is, you know, they'll do stuff. Whereas we're so inhibited and repressed from having all those experiences that it comes out and manifests in the quite, um, yeah, unhealthy, sometimes maybe problematic ways. So what then tends to happen, like, for example, in our culture, you can marry a cousin, right? You, you can marry your first cousin. In fact, I was, I was, I married my first cousin. And so when you're playing with your cousins, you are sexualized at such a young age because I remember playing with my cousins and aunties and uncles giving me the eye at the age of eight or nine. Like I was so young. I had no idea why they were looking at me that way. It's only when I got to 10, which is still a child, Mm -hmm. 10, 11, I was like, oh, that's why they're looking at me funny. So inadvertently they sexualize you or they make you understand. They put sex in the room without Mm -hmm. meaning to. And so you grow up with like, sex is this thing I can't do. And then, you know, you start sort of... And women are like the passive acceptors of what's happening to them. We're the ones being stared at. We're the ones being told what to do. We're the ones that are alarmed with a literal rape alarm when we walk down the street. But then imagine being a brown woman who comes from quite a strict culture where even dressing funny, speaking funny, doing anything that's seen outside of your culture could be quite difficult. Um, So we always say that maybe on Brown Girls Do It Too, we take it too far because we are oversteering. We're doing exactly, we're like rebelling against everything and then maybe we take it too far. Mm. But that's just your way to, if you're like a little bit radical and like a little bit over the top with some of the sexual things that you say, if you're overly sexually explicit, you've already taken it there. Absolutely. So there's like, there's loads of room for people to come up behind you. It's always, always I think it's a a really good point you bring up in terms of the fact that, uh, you know, women women are a lot more repressed and I think that's more the issue rather than if men think about sex more than women I think social suggestion and engineering prevents women or robs women of the nomenclature required to articulate their sexuality or to assert it in the same way that men can so for example uh I had a bit in a show I did a couple years ago where I was like you know this is why it's called dictionary because men are able to refer to their fallacies in public and in public paradigms however they want and each man each culture each uh sub culture within that culture will have their own nomenclature to describe their phallus and to describe their uh, sexual congress. Whereas with women, like you really only hear women referring to their genitals in uh, casual or colloquial terms, normally in pornography. Because if mm. you as a woman go into a room and say something like, oh no, I'm just uh, making sure that my uh, pants fit around my pussy correctly, everyone will be like, oh, what the... F-? It's almost, <laughs> depend- it's like well, as a woman, depending on the language you use to describe your sexuality, that becomes an interpretation of you are asking for sex. Uh, mm. Even mm. if you might, you might just be using casual terms which you use amongst your friends, but if a woman is, speaks specifically about sex, it's almost as if you are giving consent to all the listeners that are listening to your narrative, is that you're, you're, you're allowed to have, people are allowed to have sex with you. Mm. But I think, it's like uh, you said, Poppy, I mean, I think uh, it's very much seen, I think, I think the main thing about sex as well is that in terms of cis uh, gender heterosexual people, I can only speak for anyway, is that um, men are definitely taught because of the taboo about sex. That is something you take from someone as opposed to it being an exchange yeah. between two parties. And so mm. when men are thinking about sex, it's almost, it's almost if they're thinking it through the same lens as capitalism is that it's a zero sum game and I have to gain for somebody else to lose, including the person I'm going to have sex with. And that complex uh, becomes more compounded as time goes on because then men, because they feel like they are taking something that is sordid and they are dealing with a taboo subject, then they, and not, I'm not saying this as an excuse, but it's like then men don't even learn how to ask for sex properly. So instead of actually asking for sex or articulating mm. one in sexual gratification with another party, then it becomes, well, I can't just say to a woman out and out that I want to fuck her, so I've got to uh, 
maybe use some alcohol to and uh, reduce her inhibitions. And if that doesn't work, then I have to put something in this alcohol so that I can't have this woman talk to me because if she tells me no or if she articulates what her criteria is sexually and I find that myself that I'm insecure or find myself wanting wanting so I'm not able to satisfy said well, said uh, criteria, then that as a man is that takes away from my masculinity. So I have to find some way around it. There's so many layers, right? There, there, there's so many layers. And, and I think what makes it actually very difficult and kind of why we can never fully answer this question is the fact that there's some very, very uh, deep sociological, uh, psychological elements that, that, that they talk about. And then I think on the, on the surface, and listen, you can tell me I'm just an idiot, but fine. Uh, is there's some really basic ones. Yeah. There's some really basic ones. Like I've got a theory, it's not popular, but I've got a theory that one of the reasons men is more men are more obsessed uh, by, by sex than women is because of boobs. I think <laughs> boobs, <laughs> boobs, genuinely, because you've got to remember, you know, obviously you guys are attracted to us, our chests are pleasant, but not quite as eye-catching as yeah, boobs are great. breasts. Boobs are great. Yeah, we can all agree. Oh, well, no, I agree. don't have any, so I just, I can't. Listen, Poppy, boobs speak. are like publicity. There is no such thing as bad boobs once it's out there. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Fine, I've but got they, tiny little mangoes. They do. are, I think, the, the, the kind of, if you were trying to, you know, because I, I, we don't ever want to demean or, or, or insult anyone's intelligence on the show, but, you know, we all have higher and lower levels of intelligence in each human, right? We're not all, we're not all completely cerebral all the time. And it's just this power that they seem to have, boobs, that, that I think will often make a man just kind of go, oh, yeah. well, it's, it's very primal because it's, it's fertility, because this is the thing is that we always have to remember when we consider sex in our civilization is that sex initially existed for us as mammals for the purpose of our procreation. We've been able to take that and distill the physical act of sexual gratification from the act of reproduction. And that's kind of what makes it also quite complicated as well, because remember, we have to remember that according to Abrahamic uh, text, that prostitution is the whole oldest profession in the world. Uh, and in some ways... I thought it was farming. Well, I mean, farming is more of a subsistence um, practice because you farm, because I can exchange my wheat for, like, your milk. So it doesn't have... Whereas yeah. with prostitution, it's like I'm exchanging just a commodity for a, a want as opposed to a need. So yeah. that's why it's need, kind of professional yeah. because everything else is like farming is like... It's a practice, but with farming in a, in a structure of commerce, I would exchange my crops for crops that I can't grow. Whereas, you know... There's not enough corn to buy some good pussy poppy if that's what you want to hear. And no one wants to buy any dick. I I don't know about Rabina, but like the way men, the like the way you just described boob. I think most women don't see our own boobs yeah. that way. Like for us, it could not be like on the opposite end of that spectrum. For me, like I don't wow. have any kids. But it's like it's it's a function. It's like the, it's for the child. Like there's nothing sexual about it at all. And I think that's where the paradox I sometimes. I don't find kind of my function. own boobs sexual, but I definitely find other women's boobs sexual. Like if I, I mean, see I a woman a who's got a big I, cleavage, I, I, I will definitely look. hundred percent. I will look, but I'm not. I'm. I will look, but I'm not on that man flex like boob sex. I would just think, oh, she's got a nice. And this is the interesting thing because what the question is asking is. How how do you how often do you think about sex? What is thinking about sex? Is it thinking exactly. about someone naked? Is it thinking about yeah, someone exactly. penetrating? Is it thinking about does that lamp look like a penis? It could be anything. Well, yeah, but but I said it's how you consider it's what you consider sex because when I was an, a prepubescent kid, then boobs would have been as sexual as it got. Like, oh my god, boobs! I, like when yeah. I was a kid, it'd be like, that girl, I can see her shoulder. Oh my god, 
what are these feelings I'm feeling inside? She's showing her shoulder to everyone. So that that, that was that was what was sexual. Or if a girl wore makeup and we were like, oh my God, makeup. So like, I guess what you consider to be sexually arousing can change as time goes on. But like I said, it's what is considered sexual because depending on where you are in the world, like for some people, like for example, dancing is something that is very, very sexual. And what you find is like, particularly in Bollywood and stuff is that, is that where people can't just demonstrate like, you know, affection so overtly on screen then that's done through dance and even dance normally is what precedes sexual congress which is why when you get married the idea is you're supposed to marry so you can actually have sex lawfully but that is preceded by a first dance or if you go to parts of yeah it's foreplay like, yeah or the Medi- those parts of the mediterranean it's like belly yeah. dancing where it's, it's normally repressing other women it's like, yeah. it's like and again it refers back to fertility and stuff like that as well so i think i just think i think men and women think about sex as often as each other because you know that's how we reproduce as human beings i just think it's our considerations of sex. So I think that men consider the physical aspect or, of, or the aspect of physical gratification of sex more than women do because, uh, you know, which is why, like, you have blood dolls and glory holes and, like, men will put their dicks in watermelons. We know this. You know? <laughs> or, or, or the fact that, like, a man could be a heterosexual man his entire life and if he finds himself incarcerated for some reason then begins to observe a uh, homosexual relationship. No, you know, men have the same inclination for uh, homosexuality, but it's like, I need to come. This is how it's done. Any, any, any hole, hole is, a goal. is my goal. And, you know, that's something you see a lot more frequently <laughs> to people that have a phallus. Um, uh, whereas I said, as I said, with, with women, it's, it's, it's not just a question of, uh, you know, the gratification of uh, climaxing. I think it's a completely sensory thing. And I think that's more to do with not just the rigid or binary aspect of gender. I think it's because the feminine part of the brain deals with creativity. And so when you are fantasizing, if your brain is able to generate more power from the feminine hemisphere, that it manifests as, you know, you know, this is why women not just masturbate, women can masturbate and have a sex toy and have candles and erotica because you're able to incorporate. I wish I was into candles. What, what do you have candles. instead of candles? Mm. I've got, well, I've got, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. I've got all this hair. Well, you know, well, it's funny you say that because with dreams, <laughs> they say in dreams, if you dream about like hair or pulling hair, that uh, represents uh, sexuality in dreams as well. Whereas actually having sex in dreams, it represents something a lot more platonic. So you go dream about having sex with a friend. Rubina and I were saying every time we have sex, well, every time we have sex, we don't have sex together. But when we dream about something, it always ends in us wanting to have sex to troubleshoot and yeah. end the problem. It's but very weird. It, it, it represents about. intimacy. Like, I could be dreaming about anything and I'll be like, if I have sex with this person, it'll be fine. And Rubina, we It said that like the, it's your subconscious showing you that, you know, if you could observe intimacy with that person, then you can have more of a platonic bond as opposed to physically sexual. Right. Whereas if you dream about like stuff like hair, then that's supposed to be quite overtly sexual. So, yeah. It's a hell of a question. And um, we probably have learned quite a lot. I hope our listeners have learned some stuff in that question. Um, I can tell you that uh, just personally from one perspective, that once you have a child, um, your relationship with uh, boobs uh, change because someone else... <laughs> Uh, needs them oh, much more than you do. Oh, Howard. He looked at them the other day, Dane. He looked at them the other day and I was like, I remember oh. looking at them like that. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, it's been... But well, I'm going to ask a question <laughs> that is uh, probably, you know, uh, on the same tra- train of thought about kind of uh, sex and identity um, because um, uh, we have, uh, you know, Poppy and Rabina here who describe themselves as, as, as brown girls in your in your show, right? Uh, I'm, I'm cool to say that still. Yeah, yeah, no, you're fine to say that. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we have a, a Dane here, a black man, and we have uh, me, a kosher uh, product um, uh, from the Jewish Howard, oil. you're the um, only one here. Do you have kids? No. Yeah. Well, then, Howard, you're the only person here who we know for a fact has unprotected sex. So you... you. Mr. Kosher. But the question I'm going to ask. You're the only one here. Exactly. Yeah. We have this. We have this nice, you know, assortment mix of ethnicities here. I was going to ask: Is it wrong? I'm going to try and get this phrase in this question right. Just give me a second. But should we expect different ethnic groups? to have different sexual styles. Um, <laughs> because, and I'll tell you one of the reasons I bring this up, and I, we'll hear from Dane shortly, because uh, I know he's got plenty to say about this, but, you know, the, the black man carries a uh, image uh, that is not something is, that's ever asked for. <laughs> and I don't know, you know, kind of, if, as, as, as you describe yourself as brown girls, you know, if you feel that as, a, as a, that particular ethnic group, you're expected to be a certain way sexually or not. Yeah, I think Mia Khalifa did a lot for pornography in terms of the Asian or brown stereotype when she's, you know, um, kind of representing the Middle East and having sex in a, in a hijab and what that did for other brown women. And also the fact that on Pornhub, frequently in the top 10 searches in this country, the words Indian come up, the words Asian come up. You know, there is a fetishization around the cultures from Asia and then brown women and also uh, kind of further east as well. But for, for us, I would 100% say I've been like fetishized by partners who have, you know, said like, oh, you know, some people have yellow fever, you know, I've got brown fever, <laughs> like all of that stuff. You're what you're that like, how are they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Infect me. I don't know. <laughs> Let me be your pathogen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I think mostly we're just seen as quite like subservient and um yeah to be dismissed subordinate to be dominated perhaps in the bedroom perhaps we're like asking for it not asking for it I mean Bollywood films are all about that right it's like yes no no yes no yes no. it's like it's you know really mixed up consent that's where I got my porn from growing up that was where I got all my source material so it was all of that shit wasn't it yes no okay take the sari don't take the sari it's, it's all of that yeah it's yeah. Yeah. Hardly original, yeah, but um, but I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how to answer your question. I don't. Can you? So hang on. What was the question? Do you certain? So it's, it's kind, it's kind of like as as uh, Rabina was saying as well. Is that uh, is there a certain level of uh, are there more are there sexual stereotypes based on your ethnicity? So for example, I know for a fact when I have partners oh, I and stuff, okay. or I've been in interracial relationships, when they may tell their friends or talk about me before they ask about any other positive trait about my being, the first question would be, "Has he got a big dick?" Like, not does he treat you well? Do you have a spiritual connection? Is his ideological outlook something that would be good or conducive or progressive? It's just, has he got a big yeah. dick? And, you know, there, I think with the, um, with patriarchy and also with toxic masculinity, there's a lot of time where if you experience this objectification as a black man, a lot of people don't really, they, they tend to see it as more mm. of a positive discrimination because it's like, you know, especially when, like I said, because men will, uh, uh, hold their self-esteem, link their self-esteem to their masculinity. It's kind of like, well, those worst stereotypes of having a big dick, guys. Blah, blah, blah. But, but what a lot yeah. of people don't realise yeah. is that obviously that is very much rooted in uh, the dehumanisation of black men and the black phallus, where you be referred to as what's called a buck or a stud, where you are treated almost as if you are like a, a pedigree racehorse and you'd be forced to breed with other slaves based on your, uh, uh, I guess your sexual proclivity or the size of your penis. And then, 
yeah, and you really have no real more human dignity than that of a horse. And it used to manifest in uh, mainstream media, whereby like you'd have people like Rock Hudson or Fred Astaire and Carrie Gant, and they would be like, not they'd be sexual because they would dance and stuff, but they'd also be considered love interests. Whereas as a black man, if you watch something like pornography, it's like your phallus or a black phallus might appear having sex with a woman of a different race, but you don't even see this guy's face or hear how he speaks. He's literally just there for the penis. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is that you become further and further commodified until, yeah, what can happen then is that your sexuality can then be weaponized against you, whereby if you even appear to make any kind of advance, and what me and my friends notice is a lot is that like, if I perform a show and if I'm having a discussion with a non-black woman, then, and she has, especially if she has a white boy, a, a white partner who, you know, himself may have some kind of fe- fetishized his partner, then he sprints over to see what we're talking about. And he's like, hey, what's what's happening here? Wow. Is this is my girlfriend. Uh, uh, because, like I said, because of toxic masculinity, this idea has been built up that like, I lead every conversation with my penis and I'm like, hi, hey, Rabina Puppet. I'm Dave right. Baptist. <laughs> nice to meet you. Let me move some of these glasses off the table with my dick. And uh, you were saying, I'm sorry, my dick was too close to my right here. Let me put it behind my shoulders. And so, yeah. It's just, uh, the reality of it has to be that you can know some things that could be relevant, but ultimately each individual person is going to be an individual person, right? There's just there's no way anyone could ever expect anything from a partner because of their ethnic background, right? But there, there are loads of expectations put on that, I think. Yeah, and but you've got to make quick judgments, don't you? You've got to like sex is kind of about quick attraction, so maybe sometimes categorizing people like that is just really useful for your brain to be like, well, I'm going to put that person there, and that's why I like them or don't like them. Like I once went out on a date with a guy who, on the date, told me that he was into hairy women, and I was like cool that's weird and then I was like oh shit you think that because I'm brown that I'm going to be having you're right you're you are right but um where do you want the hair to be like what what are you interested in and he was interested like hairy arms hairy legs and I was like okay well I'm came on a date so I don't know if that's where are we going with this I'm not gonna let you shave me he was probably like check please (laughs) what a jib this is ridiculous (laughs) so you're yeah you're talking about sexual stereotypes based on ethnicity I um the, the subservient uh, thing is definitely rings true, but I always, always get a lot of like, so can you eat pork? What do you think, <laughs> what do you think of ISIS then? Obviously this is back yeah. in the, you know what I mean? Like really fucking lame shit questions. And you're like, all right, cool. Let's um, hit me with question <laughs> one then. Let's go. You know, so, so it would be weird. It would be that sort of less about sex or maybe because I do like being dominated in the bedroom. I sort of didn't see it. Do you know what I mean? I was just like, well, that's my kind of sexual preference anyway, so I didn't really... Or maybe it's your internalised... Your internalised stuff that you put on yourself. This is another thing. Which which, which I, it definitely works. I have a perfect example of that is the fact that since they've uh, been told that blondes have more fun, even though blonde hair is genetically recessive, to this day, when women are trying to express the most uh, quintessential example of sexual objectification, blonde hair, blue eyes, big boobs... And you see that repeated with all the iconoclasts in Western culture from Marilyn Monroe onwards, because you've had like Marilyn Monroe and then you've had like Anna Nicole Smith and Kate Upton and Erica Elenak and Pamela Anderson. Yeah. And it just goes on and on. But it's it's kind of like whenever you see a lot of time women are trying to reimagine themselves as more affable, particularly to uh, patriarchal ideas of sexuality then they tend to take on that whole persona. So I think a lot of the time we do tend to internalize it and we internalize how we're supposed to look. And it's, it, I think it largely comes from the fact that because sex is so commodified, then it's the same way that people want to pick yeah. out a nice dress and they will look for a partner or a sexual partner in the same way where it's kind of like, 
Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If people are taking... So, for example, there was a time, I suppose, early noughties, where there were a lot of uh, crossover Asian films that were big in cinema. So you had, like, Bend It Like Beckham and Bride and Prejudice. And... For people, that couldn't be enough for people to just get like a straight, like what you describe as like brown fever, where people kind of like, oh yeah, like, you know, I just recently watched uh, Best Marigold Hotel. So I like, was wondering if uh, we could. <laughs> what a chat. Yeah, no, no, and that's what that's, a that's chat. Like, 90% of the Best Marigold Hotel. After, well, exactly. But after I saw, <laughs> after I saw like, like after Save, by, Save the Last Dance came out, like, I don't want to go out in university after that because everyone's just sitting, all the white girls are sitting there like bouncing back and forth like fucking Julia Stiles. I'm like, I'm not teaching us dance. It's not happening. I've got, to point, I've got to point out here, we've been talking about this question for a little while now, Sorry. and uh, it's important to say that it has not uh, sprung to the front of our minds the uh, sexual identity of the Jewish populace. And there's a reason for that. There's a, re- <laughs> there's a big reason for that, right? We are not the sexy brand... I disagree. Group, I have you seen say. Natalie Portman not- in Closer? We do have you seen Natalie Portman that. in Closer? Oh, yeah. And Clive Owen goes, let me... But the Jews, the Jews, the thing, you know, you kind of who I mean, you said the the, the dick thing, and then you know, you, there's, there's been a few examples of how we the Jewish thing is genuinely like I would have gone on dates with, and I'm not religious, but you know, I would have gone on dates and people would have been like, So do you have sex through a sheet? Uh oh, like, yeah. um I mean I mean, at the time, I would have said, I'll have sex through anything you want, I'll sex through this door if you need to, but like, you know, whatever, whatever. But the, there is these kind of, and obviously, um, you know, we all have the snip, us guys. Uh, and a, lot other, black, a, lot, a lot of black guys are very big on circumcision as well. And Muslim men. So. And Muslim men as well, yeah. Get crew. There's, there's a massive intersectionality yeah. there as well, so... <laughs> Yeah, but I would say the Jewish brand is not one defined by its sex appeal. Generally, I don't think we people are like, oh, we need to, you know, this music video isn't quite sex. It's not quite Jewish enough. You know, we need to do, we need to make it. But what about Gene Simmons from Kiss? Happen. I think he definitely tried to subvert that whole idea, right? I um, but, uh, but you, didn't, you, <laughs> you, you can you find those examples. And, and what you tend to definitely. find as well, Howard, is that it's a weird dichotomy where normally when you have a group of a group where the women in that particular group are fetishized by Western uh, attitudes. A lot of the time, the the male contingent of that same group is uh, very much eff- effeminized or uh, kind of reduced because uh, there's a real ongoing discussion about colorism within the black community, for example, whereby fairer skinned is seen as a lot more uh, effeminate and more, more attractive and more reminiscent of Eurocentric features. 
And that's normally for women. However, for fairer skinned men, it seems to be a lot more effeminate. And there's been like a weird shift again where I think late 90s uh, or like mid 90s, I think it was like fairer skinned men with all the rage. Whereas now, as soon as they're a lot more effeminate and it's supposed to be like a lot less of an aspiration to be the fairest good man. Whereas a woman that would be described now colloquially as exotic or foreign is preferred to a darker skinned woman. Um, I'm not sure it's the same for the mm. Asian diaspora. I'm sure there's, there are elements of it because I think I've heard it whereby oh, Pakistanis are too light, but then Southern Indians are too dark, Shanks are too dark, and the Dratis are fair and that's okay. But yeah. Yeah, what do you think about that, Poppy? What do, where do you think it? We're on the yeah. Uh, we were talking. We did. We recorded an episode of Brown Girls Two yesterday, and we were talking about colorism, sort of this internal racism. But it kind of mm. goes beyond colorism. Well, in that I'm a Sunni Bengali. If I brought home a Hindu or like a Shia, a Shia, I don't know, Shia Gujarati, like that yeah. would not be allowed. I mean, the criteria is so mm. small. It's so finite. It's like village, back home, cousin, tick, tick, tick. Bangladeshis are not that bad with cousin marriages. Pakistanis are quite, you know, they're still doing it. Um, hmm. But uh, yeah, it's, it's like the, the gene pool is very, very small because we want to propagate the progeny, the language, the culture, the everything. Also, my mum's been in this country for 35 years and doesn't speak a word of English. So for her, it's incredibly important that her sons-in-laws speak the language because obviously, you know, we, we marry families, we don't marry the individuals. And you can understand why we're protective of it as well. You know, like colonialism made brown people feel terrified about losing anything and then they carry the trauma of your, like, parents to, you know, you understand why you're protective of the things that belong to you. And you also understand why we do think in that Eurocentric way, why we think white people are more attractive than us. That's what we've been taught. That's what our parents have been taught. Well, that's that's where beauty first became commodified. And if you look at the cosmetic industry, like that's a large, it's a large uh, arm in trying to maintain the uh, choke of uh, colonialism. Because it's like, for example, you look at like perfume adverts, really a perfume advert is trying to sell you a scent. So really the aesthetic shouldn't really matter. But if you look at most perfumes, it's like an alabaster skinned woman eating an apple and there's a fox She's naked, naked. And she eats her, naked. then a fox Ooh, is about to come naked. and lick her pussy, and then it just goes obsession, and you go what? <laughs> or a man? Or a man? Yeah, and then he turns into a wolf, and then a man's about to save her, and it's just like yeah, and the man is her. So, so I just slight tangent, but come back from me. So, uh, a very good friend of mine lives in Brazil, and he came back to L- London after years of living in Brazil. And he was like, I've noticed something. Something's happened. I was like, What? 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 And he's like. All the couples doing bank adverts yeah. are mixed race. It's always a black guy hmm. and a white woman. That's amazing. What what happened? And I was like, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I I started noticing it as well. Sorry, I don't know how it was related, but I well, going back to the beauty ideals, I think things. Are, I'm seeing yeah. a change now, like now, but it's mm, very yeah. slow. Like I'm seeing more black models, models with um, yeah. hijab wearing models, Asian models, Indian models. So, but it's very slow. I mean, it's only now. Yeah, it's, it's definitely so. And I, I think Sorry. that, uh, yeah, your, I think sexuality and beauty can very easily be dictated by uh, what images are on a billboard. And I think people can underestimate how much that affects image and, and how much that can affect suggestion and ideas of uh, sex, sexuality and, and attraction. So... Well, it was a fun question because we got to dive into quite a lot of uh, of stuff there, and it's it's carried on this uh, this sexual uh, trajectory of this episode, Dane. So I don't know if you're going to carry that on with your question or or not. I think that with two ladies here, we should give them the full hour, Howard. It would I would not be a gentleman if I didn't keep it going. 
Um, to, uh, to, 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 you could go to the end, Howard. That's what a real man would do. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so my question, I think, is rather, I hope, it's rather a simple one. And it's just based on the fact that I think it's a great thing that you guys are doing. I think, as I said before, uh, I think a lot of people are unaware of uh, how frequent and how many women globally suffer sexual uh, trauma before they're even able to assert their own sexuality. Um, and uh, most men may or may not know 80% of most women experience some form of sexual trauma before their 19th birthday. So I feel like it's very important to be able to give people the tools and the confidence to discuss uh, their sexuality from uh, both negative and positive aspects. Um, But I would say I still uh, have a lot to learn. So I guess it's quite a generalised question, but I want to just ask, based on, you know, the work you've done, interviews you've had, research you guys have done, um, sexually, how do you think brown girls are doing? Hmm. At this particular stage, because, like, you know, I'm someone who's visited, like, now I've never been so far east as all the way to, say, like, uh, the subcontinent, but I've been to Australia, which obviously has a large population of, uh, you know, uh, the Asian diaspora, and if I hadn't gone somewhere like Australia, I wouldn't really be experiencing... You know, narratives from people who necessarily are from Bangladesh or from Sumatra or Sri Lanka. Um, but then you do find that there's a large contingent of the same diaspora in places like the uh, Arab Emirates, where which is seen on the surface being a bit more liberal. And even though, obviously, it's a place where a large amount of the indigenous population wear hijabs, I also know that when Victoria's Secret opened in Dubai, they'd have been about 20 million in their first week. So obviously someone's getting it sexy for somebody out there. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. How are you finding it? Are you are you finding uh, if you guys are at dinner parties with your uh, your peers and your and your uh, your racial and ethnic contemporaries, and you start talking, they're just like, you guys are bringing shame on us, or they're like, right on, sisters. It depends on the age group, right? You t- you, t- you tell me, Poppy. I'd like so you to talk to anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think if you talk to anyone mm-hmm. else of our age and younger. It's like, how much time do you have? Let's mm-hmm. let's put it all out there. Uh, but you would, I mean, you look at some of the tr- the comments because yeah. we get loads of trolls. You get, you know, you, it's Beshalem, you know, which means um, uh-huh. someone with shame. You know, shame, shame is something. I often always say to Rabina, like, if we made a brown version mm-hmm. of I May Destroy You. Yes, yeah. You know, the Michaela Cole ministry. Like, the shame and honor and reputation is like a, it's like a physical mm-hmm. thing that we carry. Like, it's so present mm-hmm. in our community. Um, so I think, Brown women are definitely talking about it more, but I I don't know if they've I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say, but like even even when we're booking mm-hmm. guests for this season, you know, people I, I found that women who I thought yeah. would be like way more open and like obviously cooler than me um, would be like yeah, you know, uh, and they're quite mm-hmm. guarded about it. So I think we still have a long way to go. But, but I say this because well, uh, changing a bit of extra background. One of the first comedians I ever saw perform live was Russell Peters, and I was 15. And I remember he made a very good point where he said how like people give, we are stigmatized as being sexually repressed on the subcontinent, but how can that be the case when there are 1.1 billion of us? So someone's fucking. Also, the karma sutra comes from there. So obviously we understand how sex yeah. works. So, so yeah. I say it's like, you know, it's uh, obviously is there, yeah, but what's the experience been like in the tide turning? Cause like, you know, I've spoken to other influences, uh, from a similar back, from a similar background, uh, well, mm. I think uh, parents, uh, well, she had like a, a Pakistani upbringing, but her parents are from the Middle East originally, and um, yeah, and she just makes it good because you guys mentioned Mia Khalifa before as well, and uh, 
she was kind of saying, because I was like, it's, I think it's good on the one hand that, like you said, it's uh, the aesthetic is opening up for other women that want to be able to celebrate their sexuality. But at the same time, she doesn't normally wear a hijab in her normal life. So is that just you playing for the gallery of uh, Western fetishization as opposed to just doing it because you want to? Um, so I just wanted to get your thoughts rather than presume. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I mean, look... The sex cells, right? We know that actually sex can be funny. Give us a chance to to be funny. We we choose the podcast so that we can practice some of our jokes on each other and make each other laugh mostly and say like dick and pussy as many times as possible and still be teenagers about it. Like we are, we love that. That's twenty five percent. I completely understand. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess like when you ask like are have brown are brown women how are they doing? I mean. From my following stuff on Instagram and looking at how India is this amazing emerging economy with all sorts of diverse voices coming through, you know, like just go to Instagram and see what like young people in India are doing. Some of it's so interesting. And I think there are lots of brown women in India. I mean, the Masala podcast is, you know, run by a woman who grew up in Islam in India. We had her, her as a guest on our show and she's so smart. She's obsessed with sex toys and has all this kind of new way of thinking and new way of like getting people to talk about stuff. I think there is a, a great movement towards it, but... I agree with Poppy. We still have a long way to go because we're always we're often seen as um, a part of a family and a part of a network um, and a part of a community. And I'm sure that everybody who, whatever community you come from, you often feel like you have to represent your community. And I'm not doing brown girls do it too to represent all brown girls. The title might be a bit misleading, but I'm not. I can only rep- represent me. And part of what we do is talk about stories. It's all about our anecdotes. What happened to me when I was dating? How I lost my virginity. I have to tell those stories as an individual, and I can't speak broadly about brown women. Mm-hmm. Again, there are billions of us, mm-hmm. <laughs> and their stories are also different and diverse. We just want to show a side of it you don't often see. Yeah. You know, we're not the terrorist, or we're not the doctor, mm-hmm. or we're not the kind of I don't know, pretty Patel of the world. Yeah. We're like yeah. we can be other things. Sometimes we can just yeah. be idiots, and the podcast yeah. actually just lets us be idiots for once. Yeah. I mean, and we, totally exactly, and I, and I think yeah, it's. I think that's yeah maybe a big part of the journey is diffusing that grenade that is normally thrown into the room when it comes up this discussion about sexuality within culture and stuff as well. So um, no, I, I think it's really cool. Do you find because I guess I, I guess I'm trying to find the intersectionality between both communities in that like you have a contingent of people from the African diaspora who are very open about you know uh, the fluidity of gender, uh, LGBT community. Uh, you know, you have uh, great people like uh, Monroe Bergdorf, and she's uh, been able to definitely be an, a, an amazing ambassador for the uh, Black trans community. Um, and yes, is it, are you finding there's an equivalent kind of movement beginning to manifest within your own communities? And obviously, there are nuances too, because, like you said, it's, not, it's, not, it's Asian is a very umbrella term to describe both of your experiences. So I'm asking you individually if you're seeing amongst like Pakistan and Bangladeshi community changes and. I, I I am, but I don't. I just don't think we're there yet. Honest to God, like if I'm being completely mm-hmm. honest, like it's great that in 2020, in a pandemic, 2019, technically, that we were given a platform to talk about sex and relationships and growing up and all that stuff. Uh, but it, 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 I, I really don't think we are, and and maybe it's skewed because I see the comments and I look at the way I listen to the way our guests sometimes speak to us, and they're quite guarded and they're obviously thinking about something and. You know, they're obviously holding back a bit, which is totally fine. We want people to be as candid as possible, but we want them to be comfortable. Um, but I, I think as a community, and I speak for the Bangladeshi community, I just don't think we're there yet. I think we are still quite far behind, but I think it's great that uh, 
social media has given people a platform to speak and it's amplified those thoughts yeah. and sentiments and experiences. But, you know, my sister works for a train company. This Bengali guy was just like, you're not married. What's wrong with you? I mean, she's 32. And, and he was saying it so openly and so casually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what I'm trying to say from that story is that he, she, it's her, our generation is not the problem. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're still ruled by the, you know, kind of iron fist of my parents' generation. Mm-hmm. You know, when I go to my mum, when I'm knocking on my mum's door, I turn into a Muslim. You know, I'm a part-time Muslim. Like, she still has that hold over me. So so that, the, 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 what the community says, the, the elders, they still have a power. Uh, and the tricky thing with the podcast, like, you do a podcast, as you well know, yeah. you don't know if people are listening and talking about it publicly. Yeah. You guys do, probably, because they're promoting it. I think the thing about brown girls do it too, it's a little bit like pornography. Yeah. If you're watching it on your laptop and someone walks in, you probably shut yeah. it. You can be quite intimate and be quite quiet listening to what we're saying and message us and tell us that you're loving it, but you're not recommending it to your friends. Yeah. So you're not talking publicly about listening and enjoying, enjoying it. It's kind of hard to gauge how far mm. we've got because we do get a lot of trolls and we do get a lot of people telling us, like, you're not really supposed to be doing this. Like, do your parents know? We get, we get that constantly. Yeah. Do, do you think that? Do you think there's a particular catalyst that would bring about some change? So, do you think, or, or more, I guess, the way to answer the question: Do you think there's some kind of cultural compromise that can be found whereby you know you are still uh, uh, celebrating and uh, holding on to certain elements of cultural norms, while still being able to enjoy, like you know, your sexuality or sexual congress with a partner or multiple partners? I don't know. Will it just be? Will it just be time? Because it's time, you, I, you know, by the time that you're your par- the age of your parents' generation now. Because it's quite, a par- I think, quite, it's quite paradoxical. Whereby you have, like you said, at more extreme end of the spectrum, with like I'd say, uh, you know, with uh, with Islamic belief, where it's kind of like on the one hand, women should be repressed and had their modesty. That's right. Oh, none of my wives gotta be modest. <laughs> when I check into a five star hotel with all nine of these fine wives. Behave yourself in the eyes of God. He's a bad Muslim. He's only allowed for. Well, there you go. (laughs) Or or like, oh, when guys go to, you get fun people going to Morocco and being like, no sex before marriage. All right, I'm going to marry this woman of my dreams for a week. (laughs) And then. Or just do anal. And do anal. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. That's what most people do. So, okay. So, controversially, I think that, like, my answer to this is, Ultimately, in Islam, you cannot have sex before marriage. Mm -hmm. You cannot cohabit before marriage. And I think really that is where some of the friction is. Mm -hmm. Like, till that changes and that's not going to change, you're you're always going to have that kind of resistance. Mm -hmm. Um, I would like to think in, you know, maybe in 300 years time, things will be different, but... I think that what could really shift things is if Bollywood took some responsibility with sex and instead of hiding it behind saris, actually once, for once, maybe did a film that was a blockbuster that billions of people saw that actually had people having sex. And it didn't have to be graphic, it could just be, look, they're not kissing and then a cut to a flower. Channel 5 saxophone sex, you know how it is. I mean, it takes, it takes yeah. one, 10 oh. seconds to lift up her back and then the beat of sweat, it goes, <laughs> let's have a cigarette in your bra afterwards, like you normally do with sex. <laughs> that was realistic sex. <laughs> it's such a challenge though, right? Because what, what, it, what it is, 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 is cultural law or kind of... Uh, ethics which comparatively to like so if, i'll give you i'll give you a comparative example in my head that that offers why uh you know you're not going to solve this anytime soon is that you know like weed right like i can tell you pretty much categorically that i think within the next couple 
generation or two, mm. majority of places will legalize weed because it's just too good a business, really. But also, there's just there's just a load of reasons for it, mm. and that's and that's also generational, right? Because by the time that we're in our fifties or something, obviously we won't care. Everyone can smoke weed; it's yeah. fine. But that's something that is actual law. Whereas I think, kind of, when you're looking at these cultural situations, you're you're never going to get a consensus in that in that way, right? It's just not going to be possible for all of the different families with different backgrounds. And like you, you know, Dane said much earlier in this episode, you know, your own personal attachments. You know, those people will still have had good and bad experiences that will influence how they view things, you know? So it's it's a tough one to get a consensus yeah. on, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah, it's a, it's a good point, Michal, because I suppose with the weed, it's almost gone the same way as alcohol with prohibition in the States, where I got to point was like, yeah, the loss of revenue and this uh, how it's affecting, it was the, the uh, byproducts of the repression and what that was causing. And so maybe that can be the way it goes, because I, I feel like, yeah, once... I guess there needs to be a larger global uh, discussion about a discourse about consent. I think the main thing is patriarchy has a big, there's a lot to do with it. You know, as I said before at the start of the show, it's the idea that men have to take sex from women rather than have it offered to them. I think when we talk about sex in terms of like, you know, uh, birth control and sexual rights of women, I genuinely believe a lot of the time men who feel they need to discuss a woman's right to choose know somewhere esoterically if that she could choose they would not be here, or or maybe that's the fear. Maybe there's the because I think I think maybe that's part of it is that uh, there's an existential fear that m- men feel that if women have autonomy over their own wombs, then a lot of them may not be able to survive because, like I said, the idea of sex is for you to pass in your seed and for you to continue your own gene pool and. If we are, sh- yeah, I kind of think we should shift the power back to yeah. women. Give us more power, and and let's like I think there's a big part of fear is that if, women, if the autonomy or autonomy is returned to women in the strictest Darwinian sense, if the choice you know of a partner or the choice of an alpha male is down to not to the social systems that men have created, like they're standing in society uh, where it's based on a caste system or based on their uh, finances and maybe just based on their own sexual and masculine prowess, then a lot of men wouldn't be able to reproduce. And I think a lot of men are fucking shit scared of that. But I just feel like, you know, my message to men is like, you know, women like sex too. And don't worry if they wanted you gone, you wouldn't even be here. So just relax, dudes. You know, <laughs> they're giving you well, boob- I, giving I, you I, boobies. It's, been... it's, a, it's a fairground and a cafeteria. What are you complaining about, man? <laughs> well, um, that was uh, that was a brilliant question, and it's been a brilliant episode, isn't it's been it? An amazing Dave? episode, guys. Um, I really thank you guys for coming on the podcast, and I really hope by that token, a lot more people hear about the work you guys are doing, uh, both uh, from the perspective of entertainment and activism. Um, so, if people want to find out more about you, when they can find out about the podcast. Please let us know. So you can check us out. Uh, we're called Brown Girls Do It Too. We do a podcast about sex and relationships. It's kind of sex is the prism to all sorts of stuff. And we do say really silly stuff. And Poppy laughs at all my jokes. And I try to laugh at hers. So if you want to hear two, <laughs> two girls just like cackling, going at it, it's quite good for that. And you can catch us on BBC Sounds. And we're also on other like podcasting um, apps. But yeah, Brown Girls Do It Too. And um, I've got to tell you guys, you know, seven, about seven years ago, uh, we had this girl come in and do work experience uh, where I was working and I thought she was going to be decent. Uh, and I thought you could see there's something in this person and lo and behold, Rabina, you've smashed it. Uh, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> Proud as anything. Uh, you deserve Seven it. Years. Seven years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Actually, I have a, 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 another uh, tack on question to you there. 
for any of our listeners, uh, which uh, may be of a similar or identical ethnic origin, who may have questions about their sexuality, are there any? Is there any literature or anything you guys can recommend that they watch? Uh, if it's yeah, make it easier to uh, have an understanding of themselves as well as the podcast anything you recommend they read or check out or even some of uh, male listeners from the uh, the Asian diaspora as well if they uh, would understand a lot more about their the sexuality of their female contemporaries any recommendations I would check out um, Burnt Roti and Sharon Daliwal and what she does there in terms of like Asian queer spaces. There's also Gaysians run by Rita Loy. I think the stuff that she's doing with her Gaysians radio station is really good as well. Um, so for the, for the more queering community, I think they're, they're really great. And if you just want to have a laugh, come to us, but we are not sex experts. <laughs> well, experts of your own sexuality, though, and that's what counts. We should all seek to be experts of our own sexuality <laughs> to all of our listeners. Uh, Rabina and Poppy, it's been amazing. Thank you so much uh, for coming and talking to us uh, you've made this Thank you've you. ticked off my bucket list of the best Asian threesome I could have ever possibly consented <laughs> 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 you've been listening to Dane Baptiste questions everything hosted by Dane Baptiste for more from Dane go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at danebaptweets or Instagram at danesnaptiste our guests were Rabina and Poppy from Brown Girls Do It Too podcast. You can listen to that on BBC Sounds. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at We Are Audio Culture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks to Polly, Gelly and the ACAST team for all their support. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.